Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk to the people who create these games. It's to talk about big industry events. And it's to talk to my friends about the games that we enjoy playing. There has been a big upheaval in the gaming world uh, as far as a game that disappeared. And when it fractured and broke, it, it dissolved a scene that was established over decades. And gamers from that went everywhere. And we saw the spill from the breakup of the old world of Warhammer Fantasy in countless game systems. Lots of people kept playing rank and flank games. Some people even wrote an, a, a non-existent ninth edition to the game. The one, sorry, when I say it existed, they wrote it. But Games Workshop didn't. There were people that just outright quit rank and flank. And a couple people even burned their armies. So it was a very emotional time when Warhammer Fantasy disappeared. Now it's back, and we're going to talk about that today. And if I'm going to have anyone on to talk about Warhammer Fantasy, it has got to be my brother from another mother, the man, the myth, the legend, an original dweller below, an original LRDG podcast member. He has not been on this show enough, but he is on episode one. Of course, I'm talking about Dave of war dave welcome back to cast ice good to be here bradford and uh good for you to read out my list of crimes and misdemeanors there with all of the <laughs> podcasting history do i get into the point that one of the last times you and i faced each other in a in a warhammer fantasy event you were the gumby of an event you were running at conquest and I had an unbeaten run with my demons, and you were the Gumby with your ogres, and you decided to play the person in first place and destroyed me so badly that you tabled my, uh, you know, fairly hard demon list with your ogres, and in return lost three dog models. Yeah, it was a theme match. I thought our armies would match up really well considering that I was siege-themed and you were demons and, you know, sort of reflected the state of the Mountains of Morn during the Great War Against Chaos. So I'm glad that we both got to have that highly thematic experience, Brad. I'm still salty about this, Dave. That was like 20 years ago. I'm still mad. Anyway, <clears throat> Dave, you love Warhammer. Warhammer Fantasy. You have always loved it. From the day I met you, literally at a Warhammer Fantasy event, you have been balls to the wall, Warhammer Fantasy. And I literally thought of you first when the old world blew up. Warhammer's back, baby. We are talking about the old world is a Warhammer rank and flank game. It has a big old book. It is roughly based on Sixth Ed with some added features for the modern world. How excited are you that we have Warhammer Fantasy back? I'm I'm very excited that we've got Warhammer Fantasy back, but also, you know, like that that 
poor person who's had their heart broken one too many times and doesn't want to feel the feelings too real yet. I'm I'm optimistic, but but I think cautiously. So I'm I'm very keen to get into it. Very excited to see Warhammer back, and the signs are looking good so far. I think it's you know the everything we've seen up until this point is positive. But I've yeah played it enough GW to to learn not to trust again. Well, since the old world disappeared and as you've moved back to the old world itself and you're living down the road from Warhammer HQ, um, you have been playing a lot of games, workshop games recently, just so folks have a context. What are some of the games that you've been playing in recent years? Yeah, playing lots of different GW stuff. I've played probably the most Necromunda of anything. Um, played a bit of 40K, a tiny bit of AOS, some Underworld, some Warcry. Fair bit of Kill Team, some Legions Imperialis, bit of Horus Heresy. Um, so most of it, I mean, I've not played Blood Bowl much and I've not really played um, Aeronautica Imperialis, but I think I've played some of the rest of it, basically. So if I was to say that you have a fair finger on what Games Workshop games are currently, you would say, yeah, I, I, I've had a, a go at a lot of things. And you're fairly knowledgeable about the direction that Games Workshop seems to be going with a lot of its game systems. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I've, I've, I've played a, a decent chunk of basically all their current games, I'd say. Cool. Well, let's talk a little bit then about how the old world's a little different. I'm speaking in generalities, but having played a little bit of Age of Sigmar a long time ago and having played a little bit of the new 40K and having read through the rules for both and a bunch of other games, having played Kill Team, having played a lot of Warcry, it seems to be the Games Workshop games, not for a, and I'm not being negative when I say this, they tend to feel more streamlined than they were back in the day in that, for example... You're not comparing weapon skills. You're not really comparing strength versus toughness in a lot of cases. There is a, a role that you need to make that tells you very specifically, you need to roll this in order to hit. You need to roll this number in order to wound. And it depends on you know what the, the characters... It isn't even a tribute anymore. You just get what you need to roll on the character card or on the unit card. Is that right? I think there's a big distinction between their mainline market games, which I would say all those things are true for, you know, even stuff like Kill Team or, or Underworlds, which are a bit more crunchy, but, but are still more streamlined. And they're kind of like old, beardy, octogenarian, nostalgia games, <laughs> which I think don't do that. So Horus Heresy still has comparing weapon skill and has much more similar rules. I mean, it's basically 7th edition 40K with improvements. And then if you look at something like Titanicus is insanely crunchy. Like you shoot a Titan. If you get through its armor, you then work out which part of the Titan that you've hit and like, have you injured its left pinky toe or its nostril and then you do a damage roll and then they have to, like, so I think there's a big jump between the games that they are wanting to be 
open entry for newer play, players and the games that are basically like their, I don't know, like their Rolling Stones last tour game. These are games for the oldies who just want more of the same thing. And I think the old world, Legions Imperialis, Titanicus, Necromunda, absolutely, uh, and Horus Heresy are all in that. We're going to write a million rules. There'll be more tables than you can count. It'll all be a lot to deal with, but you'll have fun rolling dice. Well, exactly. Well, where I was going with that, in addition to what you were saying, was when building a force, for example, for Kill Team, for 40K, I can't help but notice that you tend to get, if you take a Space Marine unit in 40K now, you get 10 dudes. And there's you give them different weapon options but there's no points like you pay a certain number of points for the unit and then you just equip it with whatever according to the chart and it there's no granularity there it's a very much here's a unit now do what you want with it and then pick another unit it's easy to pick up it's very easy to fix what's on the shelf directly into that unit because it's aligned. So if you're a kid coming in, you can say, cool, I want a Space Marine Tactical Squad. I know they don't do that anymore. I'm just saying, for example, because that was the number one box for a long time. You pull the Space Marine Squad off. You give them the rocket launcher and the flamethrower that was in you know, the iconic squad from way back when. Done. <clears throat> now, I was worried that the old world would go in that direction. Mm. Not that that's a bad thing, but I really love the granularity of going, I really want to put these options on this unit. I really want the option to put these particular items, these special rules, these magical abilities or magic items on these characters. It really gave me a sense of narrative that you were giving the personality and you're able to make squads that may look similar on paper, different on the tabletop beyond painting. And I'm really happy to see with the old world that you're able to do that, that looking through the army lists, you can, there is so much granularity there. And they really went out of their way, it seems, to ensure that all of the options that existed in previous editions of Warhammer are able to play on the table. Now, I'm going to hear people in the background saying, yeah, but not everything's there. No, it's not. For example, for the Warriors of Chaos list, you can't take Hellstriders, you can't take Blood Crushers, you can't take the War Shrine, and so I think some of the big beasts aren't there. But that's fine because there are options. So you can upgrade knights, for example, to have the things, and you could probably say, well, these are my Blood Crusher analogs, that sort of thing. But I love that that granularity is still there, and I love that uh, that allows you to give your force personality. Yeah, I'm really excited about how crunchy the list writing is like one of the things I used to love about Warhammer fantasy is if you're having a slow work day or if you're on the bus or if you're waiting for someone to turn up at a coffee shop, you could burn an hour trying to work out what a list is for Warhammer fantasy. And you're absolutely right that with current 40 K at least it's just like basically a points cost per box and you work out how many boxes of stuff you've got and that's your list. So I think that the the crunchiness is awesome. And I'm really excited once we get the full rules to play around with that for units that have all these small upgrades now, making them veterans, making them vanguard, 
making them fire and flee. And you can kind of, not just with equipment, but do quite interesting uh, and, and rich stuff in adding layers of special rules. I think that's that's really nice. Not Not friendly to new players, but will be super fun to get into it. Hero Hammer. Now, that was a dirty <clears throat> word for a long time. Fifth edition Warhammer Fantasy was famous for being called the Hero Hammer edition. I think fourth and fifth. There was a couple units on the board, and then you had massive characters, uh, as in point sync characters, that would just battle it out, and that would determine the game. With sixth edition, they dialed that way down. Characters became less tough. They had less ward savey things. And they really did change the rules to make units more attractive for veteran players. And that started the trend towards bigger units and actual what I consider to be tactical Warhammer fantasy. Of course, the other stuff was tactical too. Units existed, of course. That just happens to be my romantic spot for fantasy, sixth and seventh. With this edition, you can take up to 50% heroes. Are we leaning into a hero hammer meta, do you think? I don't think we know enough yet, to be honest. I think some of the rules changes point to that. So like in eighth, you had 25% heroes, 25% lords. So you could take basically 50% of your army as heroes. And with specific forces, I remember Chris, one of our friends, running double dragon lists, for example, that you, you would, 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 would work in theory. I think there's too many questions about how the interplay between damage dealing units and tough units works to know where the heroes will pay off. Yeah. Like the, the new mechanic that when you flee, unless you roll above your base leadership, not your modified leadership, you can't get run down. All you can do is get pushed back and then mm -hmm. followed up with another charge. I think that means that heroes might be very effective, but they might take three turns to get rid of a unit of 25 clan rats, which is not much payoff in the scheme of things. I also think that the mechanics for units being able to fight back with their full rank means, yeah, heroes might be really good and might be very tough, but can they kill enough to not get hits back? I don't know. I, I'm pretty curious to see how it goes, but I am worried with the no strike back rules that you'll have lots of like very fertile griffin families all of a sudden you know yes. and lots of monstrous creatures reproducing at a prodigious rate yes they have never been so many dragon eggs laid in the warhammer world at one time precisely um, yeah just just to lean on that though i think no step up is a big deal but i'm so glad you mentioned the way that break works now because if there was one thing i have always hated about every edition of warhammer it's the if you have a bad role, your unit's getting run down and there's nothing you can do about it unless you're playing demons and or undead, which is why I played demons forever, because at least my dudes just died. But I stayed there and I wasn't broken. Yes, I am nervous about the no step up, which means if you wipe out the first rank, people can't swing back. However, they've changed some of the combat res. So that's interesting. They've gotten rid of always strikes first, at least as the rule that was the blight of 7th and 8th ed or 8th ed. And the the constant re-rolls that made 
some of those units or high elves in particular and dark elves so hard to deal with. Heroes also, having watched a lot of the Guerrilla Games read-throughs of the the seven, six main factions, whatever, the heroes are not the monsters that they used to be. Um, at least the iterations for this game so far are not. So we're talking toughness five, toughness six. You know, we're not talking weapon skill 10,000 other than the demon prince, but even the demon prince is a little softer and fluffier and they've changed some of the things so you can always hurt it. There's no such thing as not being able to hurt it. Goblin spearmen can hurt the demon prince. Yeah, the, the odds are against you, but you can do it. I'm hoping that we're going to see some balance. I'm, I think we're going to start with a very hero heavy meta, but I think we'll we'll move into something a little bit more balanced. Would you agree? I think this, this is definitely not fifth edition, right? Where, right. Yeah, you know, bloodthirsters and characters on dragons were like just literally unassailable. And this is not that. And there's some really important changes that have made heroes particularly much less survivable. Being mounted mm. doesn't give you extra armor. So it's quite hard to get a guy on a dragon to have better than like a three up armor. You also can't mm -hmm. get better than a two up save at all. Mm -hmm. um, so you're not just going to be immune to infantry attacks. And that means that if your infantry have a AP one, for example, at least one in three of your wounds is going to go through. Yeah. Whereas you could get like re-rollable two ups and one up four ups and things like that in even in eighth edition, which was not hero hammer. And that was silly. So again, I think we got to see how that goes. And I, I would also say from the, the canon rules, they're not the monsters they used to be. They do D3 plus one damage rather than D6, but they're still very accurate. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you've got a bunch of demon princes or whatever, this you turn up against a dwarf army with three cannons, you're still probably going to lose a bunch of points to sniper artillery fire pretty early on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very greedily looking at orc stone thrower profiles at the moment thinking how am i going to deal with something like this <laughs> oh look catch some spears have fun from the old bolt throwers one thing that's different in this edition and i guess it's not that different because we've always had rules like fear terror things like that except they weren't universal special rules back then because they didn't really have universal i mean we talked about the the blight that was always strikes first I guess there were universal rules, but now there's a lot of them. Um, 70 something of them, I think. Yeah, a lot. 70 is right. We've always seen the granularity in Warhammer Fantasy games. Units have different rules that make them individually different than others. And some of that still exists, but a lot of it has been taken out and have been put into combinations of special rules instead, which seems to make this easier to understand what your opponent's army does if you've never faced it before it also i think leads to a consistency across army lists of rules so that maybe one army isn't and i may be naive here something abusive doesn't sneak through a am i i'm excited about universal special rules coming into this game as someone who's been playing a lot of games workshop games recently are you I have mixed feelings, I think, is the answer. The, okay. the, the universal special rules are good in that they give 
fairly central locations to access them. Although I would put the caveat that every army has separate, unique universal special rules, which are also then added to by the arcane journal armies having other unique special rules. It's true. Which then also none of the unique special rules tell you the page number or the book to access them in the unit's entry. So I think for people who are quite into the game and play a lot, this will be great. You'll know what all those universal special rules are fairly quickly. You won't have to go check the exact wording of one unit's version of infiltrate as opposed to another one to see if they're mildly different as it is in some of the games. But I think for a new player, when you get your unit of Kemrian royal chariots that are in the arcane journal you won't know which of three sections to check their seven special rules on and you'll i've gone through this because this is what happens in horus heresy it's the same thing and as a new player that's pretty tough to, to work out so i think the special rules the upside for me is they look really engaging and exciting like they've they've mm-hmm. given lots of versatility and most units have three or four of them and special units often have five, six, seven of them. Um, so I think that is exciting. I do think plan for your first game to take up to five hours, I would say. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I actually have scheduled that game already as an yeah. all day activity with uh, our buddy Lee Avery up the road. We both have our armies ready to go. We're waiting for the lists, obviously, but the armies are based and sitting ready on the tabletop. All we need is half a day and those rules to go through them because it's going to be a long day of page flipping. And this game is just crying out for an app, right? It's crying out for an app where you can, yes, have your unit entry, but then you can kind of click on that thing that Mm -hmm. says Armor Bane 2 and say, how is Armor Bane different from Armor Piercing? And it'll tell you that because I think that will would make things go a lot smoother. Although this is the authentic Warhammer experience, right? Page flipping and disagreeing yeah. about rules is a integral social part of this uh, of this hobby. Well, one of the things that I'm pretty excited about with the release of this game is when it releases, it's getting an EPUB, which you can search. Theoretically, I mean, I, I can't imagine they're going to give us something properly bookmarked. That would be, you know, wishing to the moon. That's not happening. At least if it does, I may fall over, you know, and faint from shock. Look, it will be nice, especially in Australia, because um, our release date's been pushed back, what, 20 days? For us, I, you know, by the digital versions, you have it day one, which is uh, exciting, I suppose. I, I guess just going back to, army construction. I was thinking about what I really liked about building an army. And it was having an army that looks like an army. One of the things I didn't like towards the end of Aethed, and I really didn't like about Age of Sigmar, um, and don't get me wrong, I have friends that love Age of Sigmar. I've played it. it. I understand it is a game. It has people who love it, and I'm not speaking ill of it. One thing that I don't like about it is that it, at least when I played it, you could put anything on the tabletop. And I understand that was its design philosophy. You could run literally four bloodthirsters and that's great. And there are ways to combat that army. That's great. 
I don't want that in a game. I want a game that looks like Braveheart, that looks like the final scene from 13th Warrior. I want units coming in and people fighting them off. Ranked units. And this game seems to deliver on it. You have to spend 25% of your army on core units. You have to have certain units in each army. Bretonians have to have a knight unit on foot or on horse and a unit of peasants. So you have to have certain core units in your army, which will make the army work that way. And I'm, I'm just really excited that the army construction works this way. I'm also unbelievably excited that we have the two big books of army lists. So on release, it isn't like we're going to be seeing a, a, a constant one-upping of you know, Codex creep as, as we've seen it, where every new list outdoes the last. At least it doesn't look like that because we're getting literally seven army lists the day of release between the Forces of Fantasy and the Ravening Hordes books. But then on top of that, we're getting the other, what, seven army lists digitally, which have been put through the same rigmarole to write. And we're assuming will be the exact same thing the, the we'll come back to those because there there's lots of feelings as far as the digital PDF list, but we're talking about everything being dropped at once. So not only do we have rules that encourage us to build actual armies, but everything's leveled at the same point at the same time. So theoretically, this will be a game that won't have rampant codex creep. And then on top of that, we have the arcane journals, which gives us, you know, the Tomb King and the Bretonian books, which give you additional fluff, give you additional background for the armies, but then give you alternative army lists. You still need the master list of the book, but they give you alternative army lists that allow you to run different versions um, that have changes to how the what's core, what's special, what's um, rare, et cetera, et cetera. So you can run different thematic lists it really, you know, allow you to freshen up the way you play those armies. Um, I know I'm throwing a lot out at you, Dave. How are you feeling about this? Yeah, really excited about 25% core. I mean, I potentially would have even liked to see it higher than 25%. Right. And I think from memory, the mortuary cult requires 33% core or something yeah. like that. So I think more, the core requirements are awesome. I... I'm not sure that it will avoid the problem that you've said if it does end up being the stronger way to play because 8th edition also had 25% core. That's right. And you can spend 25% on some chaffy archers and things like that fairly fast and then spend the rest of your points on fast cavalry and monsters. I, I, I think that's good. I think the army construction generally looks quite exciting with, with the way that they, they run it down. And lots of smart things like having units that are a bit too spicy restricted to one per thousand points or one full yes. stop. Um, that's really nice. And I think you could do some good, easy things with friends, you know, playing, I've heard people talk about playing 19, 1,999 points. So you only get one of those spicy things. No, no two steam tanks, you know, that kind of thing for your mm -hmm. 2000 point game. So I think it's generally good. Again, I think a lot of this, we're going to see how it plays out in the wash 
Um, yeah. But it does look good. I mean, the, the, the creativity that they've had with basically saying the points, costs, and units are pretty much going to stay what they are. And then you'll get new army construction and a couple of special characters or special units. And that's about it in the arcane journals. I think that's good, especially good if the game isn't going to have deluges of new army books coming out every month, which is probably a good thing for everyone's sanity yes. and wallet. And they're talking about this being a slow burn game because it's not a main game. Warhammer fantasy was one of the big games for games workshop. So there was, the expectation of multiple army books a year, massive swaths of new models. There was always support in White Dwarf. This isn't a main game. So by giving us all the army lists day dot for most of the, in fact, all of the main factions that I can think of, you are kind of letting the community then go, well, now go play this. And then, you know, maybe in six months, maybe 12 months, we'll give you another couple of arcane journals. They may FAQ a few things in the meantime, but we're also probably not going to see FAQs every six weeks for the next three years, like they do with the mainstay games for better or for worse. If one of the online PDFs isn't up to snuff, I'm sure there will be some community discussion about how do we level this? I feel like by giving us everything at once, we're getting a finished game, which is one of the things that, you know, people always talk about when they talk about, oh, I love playing Warhammer 6 that because it's a finished game. This feels like almost a finished game, which on release is um, amazing. Like how, how many games out there drop with you being able to play this many factions on the first day? I don't know. I, I just am so excited. It's like they've given us Warhammer Fantasy back out of thin air completely on the first day. And it's not going to be ground out different constantly. I, I can really get my teeth into this. I, I just can't emphasize that enough. This is maybe the biggest selling point for me. Yeah, I think it's a it's in a, a colossal amount of material to drop on day one you know yeah. dropping like including the arcane journal something like 15 different army lists on mm -hmm. day one for people to go out and, and, and play with it that's really positive and i'm pretty excited for it i think it also then frees them up to go spend their design time and effort on things that we know are coming like kislev cafe mm -hmm. They haven't said it, but it's got to be Chaos Dwarves, right? I mean, who, who who wouldn't want to buy some creepy weirdos in big hats? Um, I so do. I yeah, exactly. I think that's all, all all really good. I I think there's a big question about where the where the community is going to go with it, though, yeah. because lots of the other games that the specialist game studio makes are very kind of narrative focused as a community and the lack of updates doesn't matter because you get together to play a big titanicus game every six months or something like that and it's not really about you taking the best thing because from day one you know that the best thing has been plasma guns on your warhounds and lots of them yes. and the, because the game doesn't get rebalanced 
that's very stale very fast if you're just going to play mm -hmm. competitively but if you're taking it in the spirit it's intended then that's that's absolutely fine so i am yeah i'm optimistic about the way that it's going i wonder whether the community will want something different than gw is wanting to make for them which which might be a more narrative experience than what they do for 40k at the moment which is very competitive focused yeah. you know meta updates balancing to get within their win rate win loss ratios that they want you know quarterly quarterly points adjustments good things for a competitive game but yeah, yeah I, I i we'll see how that goes we'll see what the community finds yeah i'm with you i hope that this really does go in the narrative way i'm just excited to put on the table god i don't at this point I don't care how people play it. I just want to play it. <laughs> but as you say, moving forward, though, with the legacy armies not being involved is a little problematic. But the way the arcane journals help you to place particular armies in particular points in time. And we are talking about a time that's 200 years before the end times and 100 years after Sigmar walks off the old world. So this is a new time period as well. This is a time that's always, you know, when they do those little timelines of Warhammer history and all the old fantasy books, this time exists in those timelines. And so we have a basic idea of what's happening in the world, but they're really fleshing it out with not only the first 90 pages of the 350-page rulebook, but also with all the arcane journals, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of novels and white dwarf supplements and everything else to help us to understand the world of legend that the old world is placed in. I'm all about it. I want to. I want to get my 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 boots dirty. I want to go stand in the mud and the the grime and the filth of the old world again. And oh, one of the things that we've seen in army listing that we haven't seen fully before well there's a couple of things one mercenaries two allies now mercenaries is a nice nod back to the dogs of war days and ogres being able to be taken as mercenaries we haven't seen the full rules for those yet i mean the rules yes because people have shown those parts in the rule book uh but being able to add different things to your army list is both terrifying and exciting for me I'll let you go first, though, Dave. What are your feelings about um, mercenaries and allies? I love the thematic potential of allies in there. And what I mean by this is there's a version of allies, which is you just take the most points effective thing from the best ally that you have to fill a hole in your list. And that's not what I, that's, that's lame. That's, I yeah. mean, I would do it, but it's lame. Um, <laughs> what, what I mean is like you, you're designing your Talbanclad empire army, which is all themed around the worship of the nature goddess and the goddess of the hunt. And so as part of that, you take on some wood elf allies to fit within that theme and that you really build out that thematic thing. Or, you know, you're building your Nuln gunnery school army, hashtag siege themed. And you add in some dwarves with dwarven engineers who are overseeing it because this is the time where they're gaining dwarf technology. That stuff's really cool. And I, I really look forward to seeing what people do with those allied contingents. Mm. Now, I think 
Mercenaries will be awesome if they do flesh it out. I, I picked up a copy of the first White Dwarf that I ever got, which was the one where the Black Gobbo takes it over. It's is like late 1990s, fifth edition. Mm-hmm. And in the in that book, the army fighting against the goblins has a unit of the Birdmen. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember these, Brad. These Alcatraza. are like yeah, yeah, that's I do. right. They and they're, they're I mean they're ridiculous. They're guys in like Da Vinci paper wings with crossbows that, that yes. makes no sense. They're, they're really fun. If you could have weird off the wall stuff like that, that would be great. And I also think that plays up to the strengths of Forge World as a manufacturing arm. If you look at the weird and wonderful units that they've made for Necromunda over the last few years mm-hmm. of one-off special characters, bizarre creatures that will give you nightmares, that stuff that doesn't have to fit the design brief of like, this has to be an Empire halberdier, but it can just be some berserk, strange, Blanchian invention from the, you know, deep subconscious of a Forge was a world sculptor. And then being able to pop that in your army, I think that, that's a wonderful thing. My big concern with allies, when I first heard that, it immediately soured my stomach and went, oh, God, why? Why? Uh, me yelling Khan at the Statue of Liberty on my knees. It just harkened back to why I quit 40K. Like at the height of my competitive gaming, 40K was the edition. What was it? The one I quit on. Six? Like seven? Se- seven? Seven for six. Yeah. It was yeah. seven. Because it went to what became known as Brobots, where you could have, you know, Necrons and Blood Angels in the same army. And that was done as a joke by a lot of people, though, because it was such a, an effective combination, um, but narratively made no goddamn sense. And I really hope that doesn't happen here. However, I really like some of the rules that they put in about the allies seems to be limited. Yeah. And the allies that do exist, there are negatives. Like you can't use the army's leadership. They have to have their own character. You can't use a BSB bonus. Um, in some cases, you know, your own army's models will fight you if you try and flee. Like there's a lot of interesting negatives and limits that I think will help rein that in. Are people going to do it? I'm sure. Uh, they're they're gonna do it as as you know because we're gamers and it's what gamers do, but I think it's been done reasonably. I also love that with the mercenaries, there's a table about how reliable they are, and they could just you know show up and not be bothered, or they didn't get paid enough, or they're gonna be just as good as your regular troops. Yeah, it's random, but it gives people a reason to possibly not take them, which I think is a good thing because the people who will take them are more narrative people. And the people who will avoid it because of a lack of consistency are typically the ones who are doing it for the wrong reasons anyway. And I know I'm saying wrong reasons with giant air quotes, but again, narrative. While this was one of my biggest, I can't believe they're doing this. I'm not interested in the game now moments. I actually think that I like it now. So we'll see. Not to mention, for those of us who have a bunch of armies, it allows us, if we're trying to branch out from maybe one of the smaller armies to bulking out to being something bigger, I can take models from existing armies to put them in to bulk them out so I can put them on the table. Or it really does help newer players. Um, 
build up an army somehow or start a new army because you can paint a couple of units of something added to an existing army as you start building up. Because one thing that I've heard lots of people talking about with the old world, and I painfully rem am reminding myself of this as I'm looking at old half-finished armies, is how much work it takes to get this many models on the tabletop. And I think the allies thing will help that too. Yeah, I, I, I think all of that is true. The, I think the fact that it is restricted is good. I, painting up Warhammer armies is, is difficult, although there are still quite points-dense armies available. Like you can, Warriors of Chaos, you know, are not going to take you that much more than a 40k army really to get on the table. True. Um, but just don't eye off a Bretonian peasant crusade because that's the next decade of your life. Yes. As someone who rebased the Skaven army that was already painted and that took me two weeks with on school holiday, I assure you. Ugh. Yeah, those big model count armies are tough. Um, yeah. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about models, Dave. Um, now, this is an interesting, and God, I could talk about this particular topic for an entire episode. And I might at some point, although God, I'm already kind of tired of the topic, models available versus legacy armies versus what's available now versus games workshops and sane pricing of a few things. It's pretty we're 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 in a world that is the wild west almost it feels like compared to where we left. When the old world blew up, the expectation was you would generally use games workshop models at events. Although lots of people didn't and it wasn't the problem. Because Games Workshop stopped running events, he in at least in Australia, in what, 2010? I played in the last grand tournament. I have a trophy over my shoulder from it. And that was the last time Games Workshop ran anything outside of one of their stores. Now, Legacy Armies, they, Games Workshop kind of, I don't know what they were doing when they said it, said that they're not tournament legal, but they don't run tournaments. There is, in listening to the wonderful Square-based podcast, uh, we love you guys. Please keep up the good Lord's work over there. They talked a little bit about how this is an internal bean counting issue, about how the Age of Sigmar people don't want the old world sales to spill into their business. Now, they do a much better job of explaining that on their show. Please do listen. It's, it's the opposite. The old world doesn't want their sales counting towards Age of Sigma. Oh, that's right. Thank because you. Because it doesn't count as a profit to show that their game is actually being successful and people are playing it. And and yet, the army lists were written for all of the armies. Yeah. So there's definitely, and having worked in sales at Games Workshop multiple times and having worked in retail at Games Workshop, Listening to the arguments between the creatives and the salespeople has always been fascinating. And I would pay good money, and I mean Games Workshop money, to see the interactions, to see what is actually happening behind closed doors, because I doubt we'll ever know. But the legacy armies are quit. generally ones that are playable off the shelf right now. The most playable models... For most factions, Chaos Warriors aside, for 
this game are currently on the shelf for Age of Sigmar. Skaven is probably the most playable list there is currently at this second. And they are getting a legacy army rather than the old world. So it is a really interesting situation where a lot of people wanting to play official quote unquote factions from ravening hordes and forces of fantasy are, are being forced to go to third party slash 3d print files to play the game with official lists. Whereas the lists that are being poo pooed are the ones whose models are ready to go on the tabletop. It is the most head scratching from a sales perspective. It, kills me like this is infuriating yeah like i mean it's it's obviously a, a baffling decision for, to have done this because like you say it's it's not just skaven ogres are a complete range the vampires mm -hmm. basically have a complete range of updated models lizardmen have a basically complete range of updated models and they're um, great new models yeah whereas when warriors of chaos is the exception they have updated models they're fantastic they look great they're, they're, they've been updated beastmen also are in the game and yeah. and it, it probably helps that they've basically had no models released for them during the entirety of the eight years and three editions of age of sigma um as to why they're in the game i think this is an insane commercial decision for games workshop yes. but it does open the door to the fact that we are now in a market where there is so many awesome third-party models and to one of the reasons why it seemed like they killed fantasy in the first place, most of this stuff is not copyrightable. You, you know, you you might be able to, you know, put a copyright on a gloom, squizzle, squangwangua from AOS, but it's hard to make a copyright on a tree, man, because you yeah. stole it from Tolkien. And there's so many options out there for most of the units in the game that I think there are good options out there. I mean, and for some of the rangers, to be honest, Beastman, again, really stands out there. The third-party stuff is it's just better. It's just better than, than the GW yeah. models. Whereas the ones that they've legacied, like the those new vampires, I've painted a few of them for the new hero quest. They are exceptionally good. Yeah. So confusing, but I think for most players who aren't playing in GW stores, aren't playing in GW tournaments are playing in their retirement village like all fantasy players are not going to have any restrictions from that so no. i think it's fine and the consternation i get it i've got no big ogre army and i'm going to be hit by that but i do think it at the end of the day probably won't actually matter that much not with the, the community isn't going to go that way i don't think no Gone are the days where people just say, well, Games Workshop said we shouldn't use it in a tournament. I mean, obviously, if those lists come out and they're paper thin, like they were in the sixth ed Ravening Hordes list, well, then there will be some conversations about are these usable right off the bat. But just thinking about, for example, when Age of Sigmar first came out and the world of Warhammer was gone, it just makes me think about a game that had no point values, had no army list, had nothing other than unit profiles. And people worked overtime as a community to make that game playable. Now we're talking about a game 
that looks very playable. And we've seen battle reports at this point. We've seen enough of the rules. And it's very close to games that we've been playing for decades that seems extremely playable with a bunch of well-rounded, from what we've seen, factions. Um, and we've seen a lot of them, the screen grabs of the lists. So we have a very good idea of what those seven armies will look like. So if you, even if the legacy lists come in and they're nowhere near the deep, as deep as the other ones, we as a community can get them there and can probably do that pretty quickly. However, given what the people who have been working on this game have been saying, I would not be surprised if we are all looking at the same style and depth of list from day dot with the PDFs. Um, I just can't wait until the game actually drops so we can see those PDFs and the, um, the embargo on uh, content creators passes. So then, you know, we can also see what, what them, them talking about those, because that's the other thing. Everyone's like, Oh, well, none of the content creators are talking about the legacy list. So they must not exist. No, they're not allowed to, till the release of the game. So there's this weird void for all of these really iconic army lists that really need to be talked about. I um, mean, it's just leading to all sorts of teeth gnashing and speculation in the community that I just really wish would end. It's my outside, outside of the basin conversation. This is the thing that drives me out the wall. Anyway, Dave. I think it makes sense for people who've come from 40K and not play the other games because 40K, for example, has a really well-supported tournament system, regular updates with stuff to the tournaments and and legacy stuff in 40k is not playable really because it never gets touched and right. everything else is getting readjusted four times a year so in the you know you you play 40k for two years and you've had eight updates fantasy last time we were playing bretonians were still using their army book that they had released in sixth edition in the early 2000s mm -hmm. so i think this is just a different picture the fact that you're not going to get updates to your vampire accounts, for example. Well, I got my first update. I bought Ogre's, Ogre Kingdoms on the day they got released when they first came out in 6th edition. And the first update that I got for them was halfway through 8th edition and about two years before they the whole game got destroyed. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I think people are catastrophizing because they're expecting this to be a degree of churn and update that I don't think will be there. I think we might get something like heresy if we're lucky which is an faq twice a year maybe one points adjustment a year for the worst things in the game and you know for heresy that's like 10 things out of 300 get get moved yeah. around i i think we're i think it's fine i think it's it's a dumb poorly thought out demotivating decision that yeah. actually won't matter in six months once this community takes hold and can I just say the look, I'm not going to get into the games workshop didn't make enough for blah, 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 blah. I get it. Like that's their business model, but clearly they did not expect how popular this would be. And to watch just the player or just the fan numbers on Facebook of watching the Facebook groups explode 
in the last couple of weeks has been wonderful. To see a community that fell apart and exploded when the game ended and just went everywhere, but to see so many people come back and be so passionate about this game from the first, you know, inkling is it, it just, it gives me hope. It gives me hope. There's been a lot of like joyous, tearful reunions with older, grayer, fatter nerds than last time I saw them, yes. which has been lovely. Um, I, I, I think that is true, but I, I wouldn't count on it being more than they expected. Like if you look at Kill Team for the last two years, you've not been able to buy anything except for the core boxes when it gets released. It sells out in 30 seconds. Um, mm-hmm. And when you look at Titanicus, the whole range sold out the minute it came on pre-order. I just think GW chronically underproduces for all its specialist games and sort of bakes that into the model. I also think it's great that more people are going online, but please don't go onto the Facebook page for the old world. <laughs> some of these some of these online spaces are very bitter as well. Yeah. Lots of divorced dads still upset about their ex. Yeah. Yeah, it, there's um the Dead Sea worth of salt out there. Whew, it's it's pretty grim. Um, Dave, I know your time is tight and it is late where you are. However, do you have a minute for one more question? Now, I, I, I do. Well, first of all, I'd like to say, Dave, you are, of course, one of the dwellers below. I am also probably the worst dweller, but I am still a dweller. <laughs> And with the Dwellers Below podcast coming back, we recently were both on an episode where we talked about uh, the hot or not, some things, some rumors about the old world. This week, there will be another episode with a bunch of dwellers that were not on the last episode, which is really exciting. So we're going to see a rotating panel of um, dwellers on episodes. I think that'll keep the content fresh and moving. One of the things we ended with was me asking other people, where are you going now? Now, we have, we had this conversation a week ago, but within the last week, we have gotten such a glut of information, and there are so many things that have changed. I'm going to ask you again, where are you going from here? I still don't know, really. I've pulled out my old Empire Army and done a stock take on just how many models you can damage in 10 years of storage, mm-hmm. uh, which is more than I, I would have liked. I think I'm probably going to try and get the Empire running first if I can, if it's not a massive amount of work. But I need to get a better sense of points and things first for that. I suspect I'll be playing my first game with Ogres, partly because I'll be able to play with like 25 models, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, and partly because I have a very big ogre collection because I've been doing it since I was 14 or something like that. So I feel confident that that I'll be able to have enough of everything there, whereas with Empire, it's a bit harder. I'm really excited to get back into the Empire, though, because I, I converted every model in the army to be Witch Hunter-themed. Mm-hmm. Lots of silly stuff. I have a, you know, a unit filler, which is a Sister of Sis- Sigma carting prisoners uh, through the town, like... Just fun little things like that. So I'm very excited about getting the Witch Hunters out again. And I can't wait for an Arcane Journal to release a uh, a Sigmarian uh, Righteous Crusade list with Flagellants' core. I can, I can feel yeah. it in my waters, Brad. 
Well, um, I was going to do Chaos Warriors the first day, but I then ordered a bunch of bases to replace the bases on my current Chaos Warrior army. And while I am hoping to get the Chaos Warriors on the table very quickly, the turnaround from companies making bases is a little slow at the moment. Once they arrive, I won't have time to rebase the army and then have that army ready to play on the tabletop immediately. Now, I am also on school holidays, so I have a couple minutes to burn. Unfortunately, I don't have the bases to burn them on. So I have ordered some adapter trays for the Skaven. So I went through and I know that, and this is for another episode, exactly how blocks work now is different than previously. And I haven't quite figured it all out, but I have ordered some additional trays, adapter trays to have my 20 millimeter base Skaven onto 25s, but in different configurations and with different little additions that I can either put on the side or on the back so that I can actually play from day dot with Skaven ready to go. And I've made sure that my Skaven army has the right bases to do that. So I will be playing with Skaven right away. However, folks who have listened to the Dwellers for a long time and or have listened to me, I followed for a long time, will know that in six slash no seventh edition, I started putting together an orc army way back when. Eighth edition, I took it way too seriously, and I it's a weird concept, and I'm sure I'll talk about it on another day. But I did a lot of sculpting and a lot of weird haystack looking orcs. I've never finished that army, and I have a couple of weeks at the moment. So I've actually gone back and I'm re-sculpting the shoulders on most of those orcs to make them look better because they look like crap before and I'm going to repaint them and um, that's going to give me a majority of an orc army. And last night I went on a little bit of a, a bits dive and I found a limited edition orc leader. I found a limited edition standard bear and I found um, a couple other bits and pieces. I have a ton of stuff for the orcs. So I think I'm just going to get my orcs and goblins up and playing. And then I think I'll, I'll go back to the chaos and get that going. It's unbelievably nice to pull these models out of a case that have never really seen the tabletop properly because I've never finished the army. But I, I'm really excited about putting that in the case and saying that was a time and place in my life. I put a lot of time and money and effort into doing this army, and I'd like to see it done. And I think... Um, that will just be a nice way to start the year. I, I think that's I look me. forward to seeing them on the table, man. You've been threatening that orc army since I was in my 20s and you were in your 30s, and I think it's about time. <laughs> and I'm almost in my 50s. Anyway, uh, on that note, Dave, it is so good to talk, first of all, with you and to see your beautiful face again. But also, it is wonderful to talk with you about the game that we met playing. It is so good to be back in the old world. And um, thank you for coming on, man. A pleasure, Brad. Good to see you, mate. Now, ladies and gentlemen, does this mean we won't be doing bolt action in the future? No, of course not. Bolt action's happening. Expect more of it. Um, we will be doing a post-CanCon episode. There are a few other independent games I do want to talk about at some point in the near future. Um, I've heard a couple people saying, but isn't this just a bolt action podcast? Well, no, if you listen to the intro, this is about a lot of games. And yes, I love Bolt Action, and I'll continue to love Bolt Action. However, 
I do love the old world. So expect some regular content with that as well. At least I hope so once I start playing. Until next time, though, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any questions or any suggestions for future episodes, please message the Facebook page, Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. But as our buddy Casey always says, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. And the terrorist